0: Okay. And like I said, this is laid back. So we can just literally pick up where we started, but, um, but no, tell me about, uh, tell me about your friend that's considering, um, like a content acquisition play. I definitely have some thoughts and then we can hop into, uh, to some intros and, and that whole thing.
1: Yeah, I, he has a book, he has a podcast, he has a bunch of, uh, online courses, and so that catalog, to your point earlier about you know how music catalogs get sold, he he's looking to um, he you- partner with or to sell that content to 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 a new owner.
0: Are you comfortable sharing his name?
1: Yeah, probably not on recording. I can connect you with him, though, if you think there's an interest in talking to each other,
0: okay. Yeah. All right. well, if you don't want to share his name directly, um are you comfortable sharing? Well yeah, please share with me off off recording, but um are you comfortable yeah, cuz
1: sharing... I want to get his permission.
0: <laughs> yeah, are you comfortable sharing the the region of business and space and topics that he covers?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's generally leadership. Um I also know somebody else who's building out some YouTube channels and apparently there's some marketplaces for content, so that's another channel perhaps for him. I just haven't had a chance to look into it.
0: Yeah. Remember- um and and so he has a podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Several.
0: He, he has yeah. several podcasts underneath of this umbrella. He has um, a, book.
1: a book. Yeah, a book and online courses. So a whole platform around it.
0: And what's, and, and does he have metrics and understanding of the consistent? Yeah,
1: you- I mean, we were just talking casually because he told me, you know, he's sharing with me um for me to keep an ear out so this is yeah. how i put it up to you he gave me some general valuations from his perspective of of what what it's worth but you know how you being a content creator yourself how valuable um that can be and yeah. and can be well well purposed to in in different ways so even one good piece of content could be repurposed in a whole bunch of different ways and and, and disseminated so i think there's there's definitely a lot of intrinsic value in that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things. Number one, and I'm sure this is what he's already thought about, and this would be good for anyone listening because I think, um, well, actually, let me give you this before I even get to, too deep into this particular individual. The the reason why I, the reason why we did, and that was another thing. Like we actually did successfully sign it and transfer it over, um, and did a couple of things. And the reason why we did that is because I've always said this. I believe, and this is actually, oh, this is cool. You may want to tell him this and like, you may want to clip this and like send this to him. Actually, I'll I'll talk Karen as if I'm talking directly to him and maybe um, so.
1: I'll get him to listen to the the episode. How about
0: that? Yeah, it will be just the beginning of it. So he'll he'll hear it. Right. Um, So, sir, if you're listening, Here's what I think you could do. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't think about. There are a ton of, if he's in the leadership space, there's a ton of HR tech business, like HR tech leadership tech type companies out here that should be doing things from a content perspective that they're simply not, but they have a strong desire to. and whether they are just lazy or whether they don't have the motivation to do it, they don't have the internal bandwidth and capacity to do it, whatever the reason is, that was kind of how I got my foot in the door to be able to get my podcast acquired. What I did is um, this particular company that you and I were talking about offline, they wanted to capitalize and make an aggressive play on the offensive offensive side of things around content. And they knew that their aggressive play with the new services they were going to roll out, the way they were going to try to capitalize in the market, they knew was that was going to be led and driven by a lot of content. And I think there's a lot of other HR tech or leadership-based companies out there that also would like to go about that particular strategy and play as well. And so that would be an area that I think he probably hasn't thought about, where having a company like a like you knowing this individual, what's like a HR tech company knowing his content that if they acquired his content would roll it out and probably capitalize on the audience and fan base that he has? Because remember, if, if an HR tech or a leadership tech-based company acquires his content, overnight they can take whatever product they have and plug it right into that community and get this extreme, extremely beneficial dividend from that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that's a great starting point. I think also that uh, leadership being such a um, universal yep. need and concept and applicable, uh, you know, their applicability is obviously universal as well. Yep. Is that it doesn't necessarily need to be HR tech um, or leadership tech. Because yep. I've seen, you know, other SaaS companies who are not directly involved in those industries also release content in in these spaces so um that's a really good lead and the other one was that there are brokers out there that deal with digital assets in terms of selling buying and selling them being the middleman with that because they have access to knowing who's who's buying and who's selling mm-hmm. so that's also another channel but i'll I'll definitely I think this is great I'm gonna have them yeah. To- the beginning here at the minimum and I, I think i'll you know i'll ping him and see if yeah maybe we should get together and talk
0: but what are your thoughts on that just like not talking about him directly because mm-hmm. i guess my final thoughts on him directly and then what are your thoughts on that strategy overall uh the reason why it's beneficial is everyone that's listening to your podcast if like you said a company in general, because that, that content is very applicable, or again, an HR leadership tech based company, what that company may do, a, it could be a very seamless plug and play to the listeners of yeah. of the podcast or the the readers of the book, or or the I'm not sure if he has an email newsletter, or I, I'm sure he has some sort of understanding and calculation of his audience where if they were to acquire that whole package. They could do a quick plug and play where, yep. let's just say they acquire his catalog for a million dollars. They could easily get five to $10 million in perpetuity on that based off of, you know, I mean, just that quick plug and play because of the, because, because, because of the similarities of of what, what, how that content could be applicable. Um, but having no, a company, you
1: yeah. know, go ahead. No, I'm a big believer in content marketing. I mean, I think our advertising has evolved as an industry, and con, you know, customers, whether they're businesses or consumers themselves, um, you know, want to be engaged and in in different ways than they have been in the past. And content um, is one of them. Is through yeah. they either want to be entertained or they want to be educated. Um, so I think something that le- like leadership uh, content is something that everyone can benefit from and can speak to. So yeah, I am totally in line with you, AJ. There's definitely, um, connection points to be made. I myself love partnerships and collaboration. so it doesn't have to be a straight up, you know, sell the content or the catalog. It could be licensed. I've also been, I've been commissioned to develop content for, um, for companies so that's another way of doing it as well so there's all different ways in which uh we can capitalize on our creations right um so i i'm a big believer in what you're saying
0: yep and that's the last thing i'll say and then we'll just we'll jump to uh we'll jump to your 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 background and your intro here karen because everyone would love to love to know who uh who i'm speaking to here but um uh, yeah no the licensing factor is another one i was going to say too we're if for whatever reason, he has a desire to not uh, be done with it forever, I could easily see a, you know, one to two year licensing play, where he like, you know, he just rents it out, gets a nice little amount of money up front, and then, you know, maintain to ownership. I've seen a lot of musical artists do that do that off and on cuz now you're just toggling your money off and on. You could just do that mm-hmm. for the next 15 years. You could just off and on toggle one to two year licensing plays off and on for the next in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and or, yeah. The
1: amount of effort that went into creating that and and the unique perspective they have, uh, it is valuable and it yeah. should be treated
0: as such. So uh so, so tell us tell us who uh Tell us who, uh, tell us who's the voice behind, uh, the voice behind, who's the person behind this voice? Who 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 is AJ
1: talking to today?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm Karen John Madsen. Uh, I'm the principal of my own firm called Co-Design of Work Experience. Um, I'm an author. Uh, my book is called Culture, Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. Um, I've done a few other, speaking of collaboration, uh, five other book projects with uh, colleagues of mine, which I invite. You to check out. Um, I'm the founder of a future of work platform called a new HR. That's just a side passion project for me. Um, I do a lot of executive coaching and I also teach part-time through Stanford University's Continuing Studies program, as well as I'm involved with Santa Clara University's Women's Corporate Board Readiness Program. Um, I spend most of my time in one of four buckets. One is coaching and developing leadership in their teams. The other is around enabling organizations to leverage culture, DEI, access and belonging and employee experience. The third is optimizing talent. That's aligning people with strategy for results. And then the fourth kind of cuts across all the others but is a lot of work on its own is driving change management and transformation. So that's that's me in a nutshell. You know, I, I, and we'll get into this because I know you asked me, what are you working on lately? I tend to have a a long list, um, but I'm focused on three to five at a given time. Um, And uh, that, and I've been independent for nine years now, but I grew up, started out in nonprofit program management and grew up in HR before I decided to get off that train, um, you know, uh, as a corporate executive uh, and, And I love entrepreneurship, so I live out here in the Bay Area now. I'm also involved with startups and advising them as well. And I'm a big believer and supporter um, of founders of color, especially.
0: Very interesting background, yeah. And and you're very you're very giving. You know you're so busy, but you're very giving with your time. You know I know it's hard to get a hold of you sometimes, but once you do, you're not you're not one to say, hey, I got a tight fifteen minute window, go. You know you uh, you're very um you're very giving with your time.
1: Thank you. I endeavor to be present for everyone I'm with, right? Um, and it doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. I in the moment, I always try to be present with who I am You're yeah like, right now like I'm I want to be 100% focused on you
0: 100% I appreciate that um so I, I guess I'll start this way this is something that's top of mind for me and uh, actually personal to me so you know with with the e1b2 collective as I've kind of explained to you the format and structure of it you know it's it's me at the center and there's a lot of different things happening, kind of similar to you, right? Whether it's a couple of brands that I've independently and originally started or brands that um, I have some equity in and I take a role in. Uh, one of the most recent brands that I took some equity in and a role in was a, a, a company called Benny. Um, they were, they were VC-backed. Um, they were innovating the employee benefit sector. Um, essentially, at a very simple level what they were doing is they felt that employee benefits were not contextual enough um, they felt that it in, the way employee benefits were structured uh, that most employees were only given access to be able to tap into your medical and your dental but like things like you know your your lsa's lifestyle benefit um were not were not taken into account and and what And what we defined a lifestyle benefit was, you know, in months, January, February, and March, my wife and I are going through a hard time right now. So I would like to take a certain amount of dollars that the company decides to allocate towards me. And I would like to take those dollars and allocate it towards a therapist, right? And tap into that part of my lifestyle for a bit, and get that and get that part cleared up for me. Uh, now that things are better with my wife, I'd like to look at the, the the back end of the next quarter, and I'd like to tap into attending some Ravens games, or I like to tap tap into tackling my own personal and learning and development, whatever the case is going to be. And so. We, we had a tool and a technology to kind of toggle that and, 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 and project manage and, and administer all of that um, and, and run that process. And that, that app, that function, that technology was ran by a lot of chief people, officers, you know, recruiters, heads of talent, people internally to kind of make sure that the employees, as they were hired into companies, were able to um, get access to a certain amount of dollars per month that they could allocate towards these lifestyle benefits or whatever they deem was important to them, right? So that's the gist of it, right? Um, Very interesting company, um, very important, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of aspects of the employee experience, things like benefits um, that are typically administered by HR, now increasingly outsourced, I think don't necessarily meet the needs of the people, right? So um, I love hearing about that description. I have come across a number of other uh, startups that are trying to solve that problem is, mm-hmm. you know, how do you not treat everybody the same way? Because if, and when you, and I, and I do this in my work, right? When you, you know, if you talk about the same thing for everybody, it's, it's mostly um, a little bit wrong for everyone, right? Yeah. And so, I'm um, I, I a big believer in making sure that um, that deep understanding of of human needs should be front and center. So I'm a big human centered design uh, person, and so when I hear you talking about disrupting current paradigms, and and I'll talk more about that when it comes to my work, I'm all for you know questioning the status quo and seeing how how we can improve.
0: One hundred percent. And so here's the question that I wanted to bring up and why I brought that, uh, that particular company up, you know, so the way that that company worked, and I want to I, I get your honest opinion on if you've been hearing about this recently, but the way that that company worked is um, we, we didn't actually make any money, right? So the company, very similar to what we were talking about offline. The company, and when I mean make money, meaning we were not profitable, right? So each month, the company was surviving and thriving off of the runway that we had available to us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our money was being obviously dumped into product, our team, our sales partnerships, and we were just trying to get to the next iteration of the product, the next phase of the brand, um, which, as you know, this is traditional for lots of lots of startups. Um, I was furloughed from that opportunity. um because remember the way my collective is structured, I take equity and have a title, but I'm also internally in there as well, right? So I was furloughed from that from that opportunity because of the following factors that you may have an opinion on. Um, the this pending or looming recession that, and I want to get your honest opinion. Is debatable if we're seeing any tangible things yet from it like we're it's, it's debatable and, and i want to get your honest opinion on that first and foremost but it's debatable if we're if we're actually in it yet if it's coming when it's coming if it's already came whatever the case is going to be but a lot of the investors actually put a freeze a quite literal freeze to all things benny meaning they cannot do anything meaning they can't spend a dollar meaning they 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 froze all operations everything gets everything is put at a halt for a minute until um until things kind of figure themselves out um what are your thoughts on that overall and how do you think that's going to impact a couple of different factors. How do you think that's going to impact some things internally, like change management, like communications, employee experience, fear, leadership, communicate a lot of different factors with many companies that are much larger than the company I was working for. So, I know I've said a lot, and I know I've asked you a couple different questions, but I think on the front end of the question, what are your thoughts on how things just got put to a halt based off of the investors and? the control they have of the company and how they're looking at things and how they're fearful of what's potentially here or coming, i.e. this recession. And then what are your thoughts on how companies are now going to be reacting and gearing up to to handle this looming recession from an engagement perspective, change management, communications, things of that nature. Um,
1: That was a lot,
0: but just take it away.
1: (laughs) It was a lot. So I'll also freeform it, and I'll address different aspects of it, because this is extremely complex, and there are a lot of factors at play here. Yes. Um, are we in a recession? I'm not an economist. I think there are factors indicating some sort of course correction in different pockets of the economy. Um, yes, there's a there's been a lot more pullback on the investment side of things. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think my my whole thing has always been about making sure we systemically increase access because um, that's where it is unfair, uh, but having more stringent thresholds or um, requirements um, for companies to warrant additional investment. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because I saw a lot of money that went toward things that maybe it shouldn't have in the past because mm-hmm. of FOMO, right? So a lot of this we're talking about is decision bias that that shows up all over the place. Um, you know, in terms of larger companies, what's going on? Um, I had um, a, a colleague, a friend of mine, send me several tweets today of a bunch of layoffs happening in different companies in the same industry all on the same day. And I kind of was like, what (laughs) did they like coordinate together or something? Yep. So I think right now, some of this correction, I think the reasons why they're happening varies by company. um, And, but they have to get really clear on what they're doing and why and, and how they're leading through those transitions, because it's not I think the disruption is happening in a way that's not necessarily increasing performance, engagement, and productivity. It's actually hurting it, right? Um, and so if we know from research that the lifeblood of a business is people and we're laying off more people than we should, you're hurting your business. It's, you're not saving your business, you're hurting your business. So there's, there's all different factors here, a lot of complexities to sort through when it comes to that. Absolutely change management, focusing also not only on being compassionate to those that are being impacted, but also those that are uh, left behind, the survivors with survivors guilt. um how do you re how do you cultivate a culture uh, when morale is low? These are great excuses to re-engage with your employees. Um, so I, I think there's a lot in here right now in this stew that's going on, um, as much as there's been a lot of layoffs, I'm still seeing a lot of hiring going on, even this time of year. And so I really, my advice to individuals who are going through all these types of transitions, either in their own lives or around them, is to remain flexible in their thinking. Uh, This is not the time for fixed mindsets, uh, but to focus on possibilities because with all of this change comes opportunities, but you have to be open and willing to even see them and be willing to take them when they come in front of you. So that would be my best piece of advice there.
0: Let's unpack this a little bit further. Yeah. Cause that, that was helpful. Um, do you, do you think, and you kind of already answered it. So let's kind of go like one by one here and like maybe give a give like little like like very direct answers or or perspectives do you personally think we are in it now no do you think there's enough i mean
1: the the street just had its best week in months i think you know
0: yeah so And, so and
1: so what's happening in people everyday people's lives is different than what's necessarily happening in the markets
0: and that's what I'm saying, right? So, like, at, to, to, to companies as small as Benny, which you know, which had about three million dollars of funding frozen, to as companies as large as Twitter, that you know, laid off what was it, 10, 15,000 employees. Why do you? And then everything in between. Why do you think they're doing that? In this now connected to this potential looming we are in we're about to be in we're already in a uh, recession like why, what what do you think is the reason behind it at a human level and at a at a tangible proof level like cuz that was that was my biggest thing and I'll just be very candid on this recording like i was yeah go ahead please
1: i'll reduce it down to failures of leadership period okay like, if I were to do all of this, because, I mean, we're perfectly, one of my favorite quotes is we're perfectly designed for our current results, right? And uh, we saw that with the downfall of FTX recently as well, right? They were yep. set up to fail and, and by, their own, by their own decisions. And so I, I really do feel that everything we're seeing here now on the company sides, the startup side, the investor sides are failures of leadership um and we we can do better we can do better i mean there are good examples out there but um i think this desire to learn through all this i think needs to be more front and center than it is these days now for your particular um you mentioned benny was it yeah Um, i know that there are a number of other startups that are trying to tackle these same issues and i'm a big believer in liquid networks that's uh steve johnson's book around um, where where good ideas come from, I think was this book. Um, and that's basically, what are the conditions for innovation? I think there's opportunity. We always talk about competing with each other. There's opportunities for collaboration and partnerships. And so I'm not, I, I don't know how re- unrealistic it is, but I'm of the belief is why not explore partnerships with other startups that maybe have half an idea and another slice of the market. And that, what would it look like to combine forces uh to be able to move things forward. So when we're off well, when we're off here I'll, I'll definitely um try to pull up some names for you. Please. some benefit to just exploring it.
0: Please cuz cuz let's like just for you know another 30 seconds I can I can give you even more context to see if that it'll help any listeners or, or just help me, right? Like the the tangible answer that we were given that I was given was the following. They don't believe that they don't believe that there's going to be enough industries and enough companies at scale that are going to be hiring they believe and and this was all prediction based and that was my obviously my biggest frustration right but they don't believe that there's going to be enough industries and enough companies hiring And even if those companies are going to be hiring, they believe there's going to be a hoarding or a freezing or a very strategic rethinking of cash allocation where something like LSAs and other things are going to be looked at at a completely different light than before, meaning they're not going to be as open to allocating finances towards them. So they believe the next 18 months of business was not going to look as fruitful and as and as positive as they thought prior. And-
1: What do employees think? Do you think that employees will continue to have these unmet needs? Yes. Yeah. And do you think that in, if if and when a recession happens, um, they will have even greater
0: needs? That was my point, yes. <laughs> right. So,
1: I mean, I'm just looking at a lot of this is perception as well because we know oh, yeah. that- the the payroll numbers in October were actually higher. So a lot of this is that the the narrative that's out there isn't necessarily what's really happening. Mm. And I I have seen executive level decisions that are because of decision bias in one form or another. And so I I that's why I'm encouraging leaders to take a step back and really really start to get um more self-aware and also more empathetic and look outwards right to other perspectives and possibilities because what they think might not what be what is right um and i always i was actually struggled with some of these random timeline deadlines that are sometimes set um i've gotten like i remember in the past in my career oh not now a year from now mm. Where did you get that number from mm. <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got all your employees engaged around this. And you're saying you personally don't have the per. but what are the employees saying? Right? What do they need?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And so, so that was part of the decision for me. in in that particular situation, do I want to time my career with the pace of this company? And the answer was no.
0: <laughs> very, very true. Right. Um, let me ask you this question. It's a little bit out of the box here, but, that, but that's-
1: oh, AJ, I hope that helped. Well, no, you?
0: you know, it did. And, and I'll even give you one other thing on this actually before I jump to this out of the box question. Um, and I love your honest, honestly, I love your two cents on this and any advising you want to do live on air here. Um, I'm restructuring, I'm not restructuring. I'm adding another layer to my beyond brand business because of this moment. I I think for those companies that are, quote unquote, doing a hiring freeze or significant layoffs, my whole thesis to the world, and I want to give your opinion, I want you to get your, I want to get your opinion first before I even dive deeper or just on this thesis. My thesis now is, okay, if you're saying to your companies, to your companies, to your employees in the world, we're laying off five, 500, 5,000, 50,000, or we're doing a freeze. Then you're essentially saying we have no interest no desire no finances no no whatever to put any energy towards uh hiring a bunch of new people and bringing them into the company at this particular moment right and we're looking to uh dispose of certain departments and certain said said employee groups because we feel like the value they're bringing to the company does not add up financially to the value that we think they need during this rough period of time. That's essentially what you're saying. So if you're saying that would you agree to this macro thesis that that those that you decide to keep you need to do everything in your power to double down on the engagement, double down the, on the retention, double down on the productivity of those individuals. Correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean because when you're when you're making Force corrections, let's call it, I mean, or actually laying off. What you're signaling to everybody is we're not in growth mode, we're in crisis mode. And is yeah, that yeah. any good for morale or productivity or engagement? I know that there were studies uh, done during the pandemic that showed that um, some of the top reasons that people were quitting their jobs, and these are people that have options, right? So, yeah, those yeah. that leave the company on their own volition have options, right? And, and so a lot of them were leaving because of lack of growth and development, learning and learning and development opportunities. So lack of career growth was a big reason why people were leaving their jobs. So you take that away or you indicate that, you know, if the company, you know, if the company or the organization is kind of pulling back, so to speak, that's more indication to those that remain behind that they might not get their needs met as well. So, you see how there's a lot of self-defeating behavior here? yeah. Um, and so I, that's why you know you asked me for um, real time advice is is to open apertures right now in terms of looking at things a little bit more holistically, um, first of all, and also shifting between short term uh, medium and long term as well. A lot of stuff is happening because of reactionary behavior.
0: Hey Karen, let me ask you this. What what does a head of talent, what advice can we both give to a head of talent and a chief people officer to, well, to the- the this
1: They're scared right now because they they so they are quote unquote overhead expenses to an organization, right? So they're scared about their budgets getting cut.
0: Well, that's what I was going to go to, right? What can we say to those two people or those two roles to the following roles that they probably report to, right? Because typically they either report to the COO, the CFO, or the CEO. So what So what can we say to those two roles to help them make their pitch to the CFO to, or to the COO and or CEO about why their budget should not get cut and or if it is going to get cut, There should be a reallocation of budget towards doubling down on things like engagement on internal comms, on, um, you know, leadership and management trainings, things of that nature. Because again, what you're signaling is if you're signaling that we're, if you, not signaling, if you actually have uh, let go 10,000 or 5,000 or 500 or done a freeze, whatever you're doing, then you're essentially saying those that we've decided to keep We need to keep like we, you 5,000 that are still here. We need you here. We need you to work at a high level. And we want to have the same level of productivity that we had when we had the pre that when we had the additional 5,000 that was here alongside you. Cause I I don't think any of these companies, and correct me if I'm wrong, want to have a significant drop off of productivity just because they've let go, you know, 10% of their workforce. I don't think they want to drop off productivity or revenue do you?
1: Well, I mean, there, there's the argument right there, right? How, how much do you need people to run this business? Can you do it on technology alone or your products? No, you, there is no organization that can run entirely autonomously without, yeah. people, right? Yeah. Um. And so, and I always had a, I always struggled um, uh, or I always challenged or questioned this whole um, this whole trope around we need to do more with less. Like I, I always was I, I've always been struck with why would you not resource something that you need that is important to you adequately <laughs>
0: in mm-hmm. order
1: to, for it to be successful? I always struggled with that. I get being effective and efficient. i I'm totally all for that. But this whole thing of you know, let's make that the culture. I struggle with that. Right. Well, constantly you're constantly stressing out the organization and we're not machines. Yep. So um, so yeah, your question of what if I were a chief people officer or head of talent, um what
0: argument are you know, what argument argument
1: make the argument, right? I think we've we've already had the argument for the last half hour, 45 minutes already, right? So i I think it's all there. It's and and I don't know if it's a telling thing, it's a showing thing sometimes, right? Uh, because it, people pull rank all the time, don't they?
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, I right? How, how, say,
1: I'm just going to decide.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say. How do we avoid? Because I, I know a lot of companies have started giving a lot more decision-making rights to some of those roles that I just mentioned, right—the heads of talent, the chief people officers, the 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 you know, yeah. the CHRO. But now, but now I think during these moments we're seeing some of that rank being pulled, right? So I, I guess I'm just curious again. I know we pretty much just said it, but I'm just wondering, from your opinion, what advice would you give? Like you're in that room, where the CFO is about to pull budget or freeze budget or make significant cuts, and the chief people officer has significant data from multiple business units within the organization saying, "If you do this, we are going to have a significant drop off of productivity, of product rollout time, you know, we're, we're like all the different metrics. We're going to have significant drop off." I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you not to do this for a business reason, not necessarily a human reason, um, what, what is there anything you can think of that you haven't said already that could get that CFO or that COO or CEO to open their eyes and not be so fear-based and be a little bit more um, optimistic, strategic about that decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think asking the right questions is really important. Um, but more than that, you know, the question... How, I, I did actually one time ask a leader, how much are you willing to pay for the engagement of your people?
0: Hmm. what'd they say?
1: $5. Well,
0: how big was this company?
1: Very big, <laughs> multinational, big. So, did, you
0: define, did you define the- That what, was their what? That
1: was their flippant answer. Basically, they said, I don't care about employee engagement. And so- um, they have you and I talked this is before we hit record you and I were talking about a situation where you had a perspective you gave that advice um it was overridden right Mm -hmm. and then you were proven right That happens all the time It, it happened all the time in my career as an HR executive as well so um sometimes people have to make their decisions but you can decide whether or not you want to continue to be involved right um and and uh so if those chief people my question is what's keeping you there then if that chief people officer has made their arguments and their their colleagues have said yeah that's nice we don't care what's what's keeping you at your job are you able to do what you want and need to do to add value to this organization and if the answer is no then I think there's some uh, real, real thinking that needs to be done around that. At the end of the day, companies need to make their own decisions and 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 live with the consequences of those decisions. I hate that there's a fallout where other like employees, right, the employees that they should be caring about, uh, get some of that fallout as well. They end up right. doing federal damage, and and that's the piece that I'm always work. I'm always trying to develop leaders so that they have the the vision and the understanding and the value and the people in their organization so that they make different decisions. They see things differently.
0: How how much do statements like $5 on how much they would pay for an increase or employee engagement overall? Or how much do you think the companies that still exist and the leaders that still exist, where, you know, they they don't care too much about a lot of the strategies and a lot of the work that, that folks like you and I try to put into the world. How much do you think a lot of that stems from um, personal insecurities or issues and pain and upbringing and, or if it's not that deep and, or just bad habits and bad learning experience from their from some of their first jobs, their first internships, some of the leaders and managers that trained and taught them. How much do you think that is that is naturally ingrained in them versus taught? And and yeah, yeah. I pause there. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Having coached a lot of leaders, I mean, there are some that do have those deep seated experiences that have created this, some of this perspective. But a lot of it is ignorance. A lot of people ignore what they don't understand. So I work in the culture space as an example. That's uh, not a topic that a lot of people, everyone knows it. They feel it. they talk about it, but they don't necessarily understand it. And so therefore, when it comes to making some decisions around it, they don't they sometimes avoid it, right? Or they don't so, So I think a lot of it is ignorance. And so that's why a lot of the work I do is around the education space as well. Um, But you're right. There are some, I think, cultural challenges in terms of mindsets being passed on, um, poor role modeling. um, You know, with some of those leaders that are more challenging, who are you could take a look. Who are they surrounding themselves with?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Um, there, there can be a better way of doing things. And we have this, you know, in Silicon Valley you always talk about vitamin or painkiller. Have you heard that analogy? I have. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't take your vitamins, you will need that painkiller. And and then I was in a conversation the other day. You either pay up front or you pay in the back end and you're trying to fix a problem, right?
0: Well, let me ask you this then. If, if, if a lot of it is ignorance, have you and your personal experience just found that then education solves this or where do you see, you know, cause you know, knowledge doesn't always translate to behavior change, correct?
1: No, but listen, we're humans. We're coded to learn. We actually learn not to learn, but we can also learn to learn too. <laughs> I'm using a lot of words here, but it's like, you know, I, you know, it's, it's that piece where we are our own worst enemies. Yeah. Right. So it's not just education. No, but I actually put learning and change go hand in hand. The way I define learning is that it's demonstrated by changed behavior. Mm. And when you're going through change, it's all about learning your way through it as well. So there's, There's that relationship there that isn't always connected, but it absolutely, learning is not going to a training session and putting, you know, putting that presentation in your, your folder or your, the binder on the bookcase and never looking at it again. Learning did not happen there. No, Learning happens when you encounter new knowledge and you incorporate it um, into your actions and your behaviors, right? So I, I think that it's not just about education it's education to get learning and about transformation right at the same time.
0: Are you a big fan and I'm assuming the answer is yes. So it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I think connected to what you're saying about how knowledge needs to be you know, applied thus it can turn into a behavior. I'm assuming you're a big fan of leaders that maybe are are a bit cautious of change but they're at least willing to listen to again a manager or a chief people officer to say you know what this new internal comm strategy or this new employee experience strategy employee engagement strategy or this new benefit or this new salary structure that we're deciding to roll out I don't know I don't internally feel great about it based off of whatever reasons my my my, my upbringing my background what I was taught growing up but I'll at least give it a three month run. I'll co-create some of the KPIs, some of the OKRs of how we're gonna measure the success of it. And we'll look at the results three months later and we'll make a decision based off of the employees and the data and I'll give it a shot. I'm assuming leaders like that are a big fan of yours or or you're a big fan of. Um,
1: hmm. I guess let me respond by saying, um in that scenario i would say well what would success look like how have you seen it work and how do we make that happen because if they're sitting there passively saying i'm giving you the KPI, you come back to me and see if you deserve it that's a, that's not a partnership in oh industry. no i
0: said co co-cre- co-create
1: yeah so the co-creation happens with how do we weave that narrative together and how do we how do we open up the possibilities and achieve that shared success piece yes. right yeah. So I think that that goes back to my earlier point of asking the right questions um, is, is to invite and engage and co-create um, to achieve that as opposed to transact, right? Um, there was another point I wanted to make there and I've lost the
0: thought. <laughs> we'll, no, it's we'll, come up,
1: we'll come back around to it.
0: <laughs> so, so, so the name of the podcast is, you know, E1B2 Employees First, Business Second. So on that lens, I'll ask an out-of-the-box question. Can a company or a leader go too far the, the way that I would probably be a fan of, which is putting employees first? Can a company put employees first too much? Is that even possible? Can a company be too employee-driven where it can actually negatively impact the company? Um, I think it's a
1: little bit deeper than that. I think I, to answer your question, no, you can't be too people centered. Okay. But there are cultural norms that go too far. Um, so being so conflict averse, which is theoretically to be more kind to people, which actually isn't right. Those are where those things start to get a little bit more iffy in terms of being too this or that. Um, So culture is the thing behind everything is what I say. Yep. To answer that question, it depends on the culture. It depends on the organization. Because their manifestation of being too employee-centered or or being employee-centered is going to manifest itself differently than another company, even if they're in the same industry.
0: So let's unpack that a little bit. Because I think conflict is actually a really interesting piece, right? So, are you saying that companies that are a little bit too let's just make it simple. You think companies that are a bit too nice and are too willing to just go with with any vibe, any energy, any there's just a lot of there's a lot of yes men going around. Do you believe that can that can probably negatively impact some things?
1: Yes, men is not always about being nice, is my experience. Um, okay. I I think the other thing is, mm, I wouldn't necessarily go there first. I would I would go into the culture piece and and say, well, what is the culture, and are they intention, What are they managing intentionally when they um, when it comes to aligning the company values with the employee experience? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's often case. Uh, oftentimes has not been looked at. And so you get a lot of ad hoc, um, which might bring up some of this example that you just asked about, um, because the culture is not overt and not clear and not articulated in a way that people understand what the expectations are. They might have misinterpreted it and -hmm. therefore are creating new cultural patterns that aren't necessarily beneficial to everyone.
0: Or maybe, and and then to go deeper on that element, right, maybe the culture is not designed to reward uh, friction, reward pushback, reward, you know, innovation and new ideas and diversity of thought, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you want some constructive or positive conflict, because if you don't have that, you're not necessarily um, learning from each other.
0: right. I I always relate this because I talk a lot about this when I'm kind of working with leaders myself. I say, you know, we need to build in some systems where anytime there's a new decision made or a new initiative that we're planning on rolling out as a, you know, let's say you're a manager leading a team of five or seven. there should be a period of time in the beginning or the middle or the end of that process where you you go directly to your people and there's an expectation that's set where it's like, Please share with me your thoughts around why you hate this. What do what don't you like about this? Where what am I not seeing? You know, where where's my blind side on this one? I think, and it's very similar for me. You know, one thing that I think that's beautiful with my relationship with my wife is that um, there are times where people from the far will look at us and will call it bickering, but one of the things that we've structured in our relationship is we we look at it as very healthy debate right? Like, I, I made it very clear to her when I started dating her, I don't want, I don't want a wife or a girlfriend or a partner that's just always going to agree with everything that I say to avoid conflict, because I know at some point that boils up to be an issue. Um, and I know maybe that's, because that's actually, and I would love to get your opinion on, not maybe not that, but like the, the human <laughs> factor of that, right? Like,
1: no, you, you do bring up something and I and I'd like to share that I'm yeah, a ahead. huge practitioner of appreciative inquiry. And so instead of saying, well, do you, have, what, what problem do you have with this? Or why is this wrong? Is how can, what makes it right? And how can we make it right? Uh, when it comes to companies and their employees, it's not tell us everything that's wrong and we'll try to fix it one by one. You'll never be finished and you'll create new problems, but what conditions can you set so that people can thrive, because when you set those conditions, those problems can't exist. Unpack
0: that a bit more.
1: So um, I actually I, I wrote about this example in my book, Culture Your Culture. It was, you know, um, there was a huge amount of attrition in one particular department, and um, there was some investigation behind that and debriefing of all the issues that were being raised. And, you know, the manager's like diligently writing down every single complaint and problem. And, and, and it got to the point where it's like, okay, put your pen down and think about a time where your, your organization uh, was at its best. If you focused on setting those conditions and creating that outcome, would any of these problems matter? And the answer is no.
2: Hmm. It's very interesting.
1: So we we've been trained through adulthood to be deficit or problem-based in our thinking. And that that is there's some benefit to that, but it doesn't cover everything. Um and and I think there's a way in which and you talk about relationships, and I'm not commenting on your marriage, right? No, no, no. But but I'm talking about what kind, of, what kind of conversations are happening in those relationships. Is it debate where you're trying to forced, force the other parties to, um, to come to one point of view? Is it discussion where everyone comes with their own agenda and there's more telling than asking? Or is it genuine, meaningful dialogue where everyone comes in and they explore possibilities together? They want to engage and co-create. There's yeah. A, so that's that's the difference between um, so there's a practice in appreciative inquiry called conversations worth having. That's a difference between you know some uh, a, an affirmative conversation or one that can be destructive right? yeah right. that that hurts relationships.
0: Let me ask you this from a different angle. Um, this is a out of the box thing this is my adD kicking in um, what What's, what's one thing that you would say, the number one thing you would give a founder of a team, let's say 50 employees and up, what, what's the number one advice you would give them around how they can utilize more of a people-centered decision-making process framework if you will like how can they lean into their people a bit more as they are gearing up to make really tough decisions what what's one number you know what's a what's a what's a big piece of advice you would give them to do that more efficiently to do that better to do that faster or to frankly do that at all or even or or do you even believe that's important to to kind of utilize the people employees first mentality when it comes to decision making versus keeping all the decisions you know, kind of brewing and made at the top? What are your thoughts on that? At, at the startup, 50 employees and up level as, as, a, as a company's trying to scale?
1: I will answer your question, but let me back up and say That's that fine. I think um, these conversations can and should happen from the very beginning at the founding team, even if there's only two founders. Let's um, talk about that. But I, I'm happy to go in. But to answer your question on the 50 and up, it's, how do you engage and co-create? Because there are examples of companies where uh, they ask their employees, "How can we avoid layoffs? Give us your ideas," and that's
0: worked. Do you have an a, like a, a tangible example of that?
1: Yeah, except the CEO got in trouble and got fired. So,
0: <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on. What, 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 why by by got fired by the investors and the board?
1: No, so. Um,
0: like who fired well, the CEO? Yeah,
1: this is in the news. You can Google it. Gravity Payments. Okay. Which is based out of Washington State.
0: I was going to say, who who could fire the CEO if it's not?
1: Well, what happened was like he, he had a very uh, people-centered public persona. Okay. That so was discovered, I think, was it earlier this year that he had used his positional power um, to harass people, women in particular, so is no longer in their job. Okay. Um but there was a period he very publicly shared how there was a period of time where um they were in danger of laying people off and um you know went to the employee the leadership of the company went to the employees and said how can we avoid layoffs mm. and everybody stepped up. And that was a great success story. So I don't I don't want the behaviors of one individual take away from the fact that the engagement of that entire company was what avoided those layoffs.
2: Mm.
0: And and was there something tangible that that a lot of the employees said they felt would it would help yeah, avoid? This help? is
1: how we can function more efficiently. This is how we can grow yeah. customer. I mean, it was everything. It was, it was a
0: different. lot of all. Yep. Yep.
1: So there's a lot. Of, everybody comes to the table. This is what you have talent for, by the way, right?
0: Everyone comes to
1: table with experience and knowledge to share. And if you're not tapping into it, then you're losing potential.
0: And what do you say to a leader or a CEO or a founder or a founding team that says, look, Karen, you know, we're 50 employees now, which myself, I'm the CEO. I have my CTOs. I have, uh, you know, I have some fractional CFOs around here. You know, I have my head of talent. Uh, you know, and I have some advisors and some investors that I, and some mentors that I listen to, you know, we're all just going to, you know, we're all just going to internally make these decisions. You know, we have our product people doing what they do best. We have our marketing people doing what they do best. But, but as far as big bulky decisions, you know, uh, I just don't think they have as much knowledge and expertise as we do. And if, because if they do, they'd be running the company right now. Like what if that is a response they give you? What, What do you say to them?
1: I would ask them, show me your strategy. Are you making decisions against that or your mood today? And I mean, when, I wouldn't you, say it that way. I would be nice nicer about it than that.
0: Well, what if they give you a very arrogant response and says, Well, you know, our strategy got us to, you know, you know. What
1: got you? What is that book called, right? What got you yep. here will take you there? Yep. <laughs> necessarily.
0: That's that's a thousand percent true.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know. One of the questions I've asked CEOs is you've gotten to the pinnacle of your career. What is it that you still have to learn? Mm. And a lot of them struggle with that. Yeah. Okay. And so that tells you something right there. And that's why I do so much to coach leaders, CEOs, and otherwise to increase uh, their self-awareness and, and, and use that toward developing their EQ because EQ is so essential to success and role, regardless of industry or level. EQ has a lot to do with success and role. So it's not just technical knowledge or experience. It's like, well, what are you doing with that experience and knowledge? If you know more, how are you using it? Yep. Um, so I'm I'm speaking to you right now. We're we're speaking rhetorically, right? Um, I very much value the relationships I have with my clients. I I get, and I'm also choosy on who I work with, right? Because it. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> I grew up in HR. I didn't always get to choose who I worked with. So, as yeah. an independent, uh, you know, that's a commitment I've made to myself. I, but what I've found is that oftentimes organizations are trying to address the symptoms and not the root cause. Mm-hmm. And almost always, I, I can point to culture as the root cause but it's just not, it's just that they don't always think of that first. Okay. So they might say, help us communicate better with each other. Right. Or, um, you know, how do we address this one problem? Morale is low. Right. But everything, like I said, the culture is the thing behind everything. And so my, my whole push is, yeah, we can address some of those symptoms and move that needle a little bit but what have you done about your culture?
0: Yep, yep.
1: Because how is that helping or hurting that problem you're trying to address right now?
0: Yep. If if I were to tell you, Karen, if I were to tell you my go-to move when I see an employee that's low-performing, my go-to move is to go directly to the management of that employee, the manager of that employee, and figure out what, figure out how much that manager knows about how to manage and lead and support that employee versus going to the employee first and scolding them or having issues with them, or um, I think negatively speaking to them. If I were to tell you my first go-to is to, I don't want to use, use the word blame, but And I don't want to say point the finger, but if my first go-to is to speak to the leader of that employee and understand how I can support that leader to support the employee first around how that employee contextually may need to be developed versus blame the employee first, which I think a lot of companies do, what what would your response be? And how could you help polish that strategy a bit more?
1: So my advice would be um, to find out what's going on first. So... The analogy of the iceberg, right? There's so much more beneath the surface than what we're what we're seeing, and so before we come to any sort of judgment or conclusions, is to find out what happened. Um, because I, my first, this is something I had to develop over the years. Is is because I have a very strong on the Myers Briggs. I'm a very strong J, so I I know how I think about things. I I, I have a very clear opinion. But one of the things I've done um, through my work um, in in um as actually through all of my work, right, as an organizational psychologist and design thinking is is to be able to have that mindset of curiosity first and to practice empathy wherever possible.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Because it's not always what we think it is right? And we have to give room for everybody involved. So if, if some sort of conflict happened and we have to confront whatever situation before that happens is to find out what happened. It's not just, okay, this, this one interaction that, that there could have been a gazillion things that led up to that piece right there. So what's the context of that situation? Because that could impact how you address it.
0: Do you believe, though, do you believe that leaders need to spend a little bit more time understanding how to contextually develop and support employee versus kind of taking a blanket approach?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You believe they, a lot of companies the new don't. organization
1: has its unique context. They just don't always understand their own con- they think they know but they don't always know, right? So, yeah, I I definitely agree on that. We we go we go from problem to solution and we don't do the thinking in between. That's fair. And so we have to get a little bit more mindful. Um that curiosity, that willingness to learn, that empathy for others. Will help us. And I'm not saying slow down like by a gazillion, like by a gazillion steps. I'm just saying pause for a moment to think through as opposed to reacting. Yeah. Because that's where bias comes from, right?
0: Let me wrap up with some of these bullet points that I have here on you. Um, and then I want to, you know, get you out of here. I don't want to hold you too long. You, you're I all talk
1: all day and all night.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um You're always so welcoming with your time. Um, A couple of bullet points you sent over here for me, and I want to give you the floor to kind of just talk about any updates, or anything that's exciting on your plate right now. Um, Anything cool happening in the research department right now?
1: Yep, I do. Um, So in addition to my executive coaching and then my management consulting, I also do a lot of talks and facilitation as well. I'm developing a research project at the intersection of DEI and belonging and culture. So, in organizations today, you see these are two spaces that are oftentimes managed separately. They even report to different parts of the organization, um, are tied to different goals, and um, and I've always operated from the position of, you you know, you really, you really can't have one without the other. Like, how great is a culture that doesn't have DEI access and belonging? Yeah. And. And um, you can't have DEI access and belonging without a culture to support and sustain it. They need each other. The current paradigms separate them. And we know that in those spaces, there's still a lot lacking. There's a lot of potential that's not being met there. And one of the the biggest challenges, and I published this in the secret sauce for leading transformational change is um, I've gotten on this thing about sustainability because you know that lack of sustainability is proof that an organization and its people have not learned right you see these initiatives come and go and they fail to have a positive uh systemic a sustainable impact those are things that i, I don't i'm not somebody who likes to waste my time <laughs> and i like to see what I, the work that i do has uh an impact long term and so um the research here, and it's funny enough, this came out of a, um, a debate, and I'm using that word debate, um, intentionally, um, because, um, I've always operated with both of these spaces in all of my work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not how a lot of others see it or operate. And so I actually went, and, and my question is, but should it, and um, I went and being a researcher myself, I, there's very little data in this space. And so I would, I am um, endeavoring right now. I'm recruiting for sponsor companies, partner companies, and participating companies uh, to, to be involved in this thought leadership. Um, because what comes out of this, and, and my publisher is very interested as well, is um, could this positively disrupt uh, the current paradigms around culture and DEIB and bring about sustainable change in the long term. So if there's any interest out there in um, getting involved in, please reach out to me because um, right now um, I've got quite a bit of interest in the conversations I'm having. I also, um, I'm endeavoring to have a public component to the research because, Unlike other studies which focus on just leadership perspectives, I'm I'm very keen to get worker perspectives as well. And we know from other research that there's at least a thirty percent gap between what leaders think and what their employees think. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that as we do this very important work, Ooh. that we have uh, the perspectives that we need.
0: Okay, that brings me to my last thing, and then I'll get you out of here. I'm I'm so glad you said that. Say that again. Um, Say what again? <laughs> um the there's a 30% gap between
1: at least a 30% gap, yeah.
0: Between can, uh between
1: what a leader, the the perspectives of a leader and what uh workers perceive as well. So I can I can send you the link to that um research separately and you could put it in the show notes if you'd like.
0: And and that and let me ask you this actually, that alignment, that alignment gap. Because that's, I also see that as an alignment gap as it pertains to how potentially work gets done, productivity within a small team, things of that nature. Does that show up within that 30%? Um,
1: yeah, I think that study is more talking about like organizational wide. Um, but if you're talking on a team, there's an article I was interviewed for around the the best thing, the the things the best bosses do. And um, I had some advice around, you know, you have to get to know your employees, you have to know them and understand them and vice versa. Um, And a lot of times people um, abdicate the leadership aspect of management as well. I mean, those their leadership and management are different, but they should they should reside in everybody, both right, the ability to manage and the ability to lead. And what I find is that uh, sometimes in this in the interest of managing some of those relationships have gotten quite transactional. yeah. and And that's not what engages people. That's not what creates psychological safety on teams. so if you if you told me that if you were asking me a question about how do we create um, a greater sense of community and connectedness on a team, right? then I would start first with psychological safety.
0: And do you think psychological safety can be created through, like if I were to tell you, and I'm asking kind of alluding to something here, but I'm not sure if if I want to spend the time to really unpack it, but if I were to tell you that there's a technology and a process that can unpack various categories, that are operational based from a leader right so for example let me get detailed because that because you're going to be like what the hell are you talking about if, No, no if
1: i am with you i'm with you i actually do this work with talent optimization as well i use right. predictive index for the design of teams but like I, i'd like to hear your approach
0: yeah so like so if i were to tell you like for example i'll use a simple one like decision making right or i'll use a simple one like um I'll use something like also like if, if a leader knows certain things about decisions they will be making or changes and updates in the department that are inevitably coming up, let's just say, I want to keep it super granular and simple. Let's say they have information in their minds around updates, adjustments to how available they're going to be, adjustments to how they are going to be making decisions and why those decisions are going to be made. Do you believe that it's incredibly important for that leader to potentially be facilitated by someone else to help unpack those thoughts and then communicate that to their team of six or eight individuals so that those team members, six or eight, have alignment and understanding around some of the updates and changes that are going to be made so that everyone can be on the same page? Do you think... A system or a process or technology that can make that happen, do you think that's productive? Do you think that can help drive more inclusivity, drive more psychological safety? Do you think that's valuable whatsoever?
1: Um, I would say it depends and and also perhaps, but also not necessarily at the same time. Because I'm a big believer in in technology enabling the work um, that what you're talking about um but i feel like it it depends on the situation so my my whole thing is if those changes down the pike are all teams operate on some sort of sort of social contract it might not be written but it's understood okay and that's why i work with some teams to actually make that over and articulate it with you know team charters and and such but but all teams are operating on some sort of social contract. And if those changes you're talking about is going to somehow violate that social contract, then that needs to be renegotiated somehow, right? That, that may not be enabled by technology. That's enabled by meaningful conversations, right? Do, true dialogue. So that's that's why I'm qualifying my response to you on that because it really does, it really does depend. Um, but as you know, uh, with my work, um, I've I've heard a lot of pitches on in the people's people tech side of things, and and there's a lot of promising concepts, ideas that are being experimented with right now. I'm all for that. Um, so where technology can help support the thriving of a workplace community great where it's going to add uh, more friction and um and into somebody's employee experience not so much right so Mm -hmm. so that's my two cents on that
0: (laughs) okay um any other any other updates anything else you want to plug and then i'll let you get out of here
1: Yeah, um, I am actually teaching again this spring um, at Stanford Continuing Studies Um, for an eight week course that's under $500. That's the most affordable way to work with me. Um, I'm also, uh, Women's Corporate Board Readiness Program also happens in the fall. So for those of you uh, who are, or who know people who are interested in potentially uh, diversifying boards, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I, I always create an open invitation to anybody here, listening here. If you want to connect, you want to explore possibilities. And Anthony can tell you from direct experience that I will make room for that. Yep. Um, and, and cause I always, I want to be open to the possibilities and I want to explore the po- opportunities. You just, it's amazing. Like, even if it's, even if I don't directly benefit from it, uh, some of the introductions I've made to other people and they've done things together i get a lot of intrinsic joy out of seeing that work
0: yeah amazing well this has been um a roller coaster of a conversation in a good way we've covered a lot and i'm um, i'm appreciative that we finally did it um i want to do it again i'll probably ping you a few times a year to have you come on here and um yeah i'm i'm very appreciative so thank you that for uh yeah. Thank you for being on this podcast. I think, um, yeah, you have a lot to share. You're very insightful. And in whether it's whether it's the content, the podcast, all of the companies that you support, uh, you have a book as well, right? Correct?
1: Yeah, I have five books. I'd love to kind of let me run through them real quick. And then I'll, yeah, I, if you don't mind sharing the links in the show notes. Yeah, send me anything uh, my- you got. My first book is Culture, Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. That has my framework, Design of Work Experience, which is the step-by-step how-to for culture. Yep. Um, I have um, Mobile Medicine, Overcoming People, Culture, and Governance. That's about digital transformation in healthcare. And there's a follow-up to that around, um, I think, um, now, now this late in the day, Advanced uh, advanced. Uh, this, the next follow-up is coming up and I think it's being released in early 2023 around risk management. So I'll give you the link to that to add. Um, I participated in a book with my colleagues. Uh, it's called Punk XL. XL stands for experience leadership. So um, he's uh, Adrian, who is the lead um, author here. He's a big fan of punk music and he created this great um, graphically designed book um, that provides all these thought starters around aligning customer experience, employee experience, all types of experience leadership in one place. Um, And also um, the secret sauce for leading transformational change. So in a 200 page book, thought leadership and um, perspectives on all aspects of leading change. It's, it's quite comprehensive. Um, and so I, you know, authors, we don't do it for the money. Let me just say that Yeah. because we feel very, we have, we're very passionate and we feel very strongly about, um, contributing new thought leadership. Um, and we're building upon work that's gone ahead of us and we want to make a positive difference. And so that that we need readership, right? I mean, and when we talk about innovation, I was going to mention this earlier, you know, there's a, there's a difference between invention and innovation, right? Innovation requires, a, you know, adoption. It's got to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and so um, I feel that way about all the work that I've done. And I'm very grateful to have the colleagues that I do that we ended up in the pandemic saying okay let's let's work on these books together <laughs> you know yeah. um it's it's been really fun it's and it's a lot less lonely than writing your own book I can tell you that from experience
0: so yeah. self published or
1: no um so I my book came through uh, Emerald Group Publishing which is an academic press and I did that on purpose because um, I wanted my work to go through the rigor that it needed to before it even was printed um, and I'm also working right now on an online course, um, more to come around that, but it came out of my essay in secret sauce around sustainable DEI and B. So, um, look out for that. If you, if you follow me on social media or get in touch, um, I'll certainly be announcing those in due, due time. So a lot of fun stuff, but I would love certainly, um, uh, I would say, what what is it called? Uh, co-conspirators around this yeah. project, right? Uh, those that believe very strongly in the power of culture and DEI and B, uh, let's back up what we're what we believe with with some data and research and yeah. make a t- positive difference there.
0: Excellent. I appreciate you, Karen.
1: I appreciate you too, AJ. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy to come back anytime.
0: A thousand percent. Thank you.